Hey, Van Pappas here. Had some technical difficulties, so I know we're a little late here on this Thursday, but welcome to Mind Over Money, the show where we talk about different financial uh, tips and tricks on a way to better educate you on how to put your mind to the different money topics of the day. And today, we're going to talk about being a landlord, okay? So, what does that mean, being a landlord? I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come to me and say, hey, uh, I want to buy a piece of property and rent it out. I want to be a landlord. Or, hey, we're thinking of moving to a new house and we want to rent out our old house instead of selling it, right? Those are There's a lot of other reasons why you might want to be a landlord, but those, to me, seem to be the most common reasons why someone wants to be a landlord. So, what I usually tell them in return is, hey, being a landlord is a great way to build wealth, right? But it is a complete pain in the ass. I can't tell you. I've been a landlord now for 22 years, and it's a great way. I've built so much wealth over it, but I've had so many heartaches over it. And if you really want to be a landlord, I can teach you what you need to know, right? And we'll go over some of those here today. But then, you know, there are other ways where you can invest in real estate without the hassle of managing it yourself. So let's look at being a landlord. And the first thing usually you want to determine is, are you going to manage it yourself or are you going to hire a management company, right? Which is it going to be? So the first thing I tell people is you should be able to reach out and touch the property. If you can't reach out and touch the property, then, you know, it's probably not a good idea. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and say, oh, you know, I'm here in Atlanta, right? And they say, oh, I want to buy this beach property down in Destin and I'm going to rent it out. All right. Well, that's a pretty decent trip. You can't just go, you know, when something breaks and fix it yourself. So most likely what you're going to do is you're going to hire a manager. You're going to hire a management company to take care of it if it's too far, right? And they're going to take all your profit. That's just the way it is. I don't care what you say, how much you charge in rent, what your expenses are. If you're hiring a management company, they're taking some or all of your profit. How does that work? Usually they charge you like one month's worth of the rent and maybe 10% of the monthly rent. Um, and what do they do for that? Well, they do some stuff, right? Because that's why you're hiring them. They're going to market it for you. They're going to find the tenant. When they find the tenant, they're going to run the credit checks. They're going to draft up the lease and, and get it signed by the tenant. Um, and if something breaks, they're going to call the repairman and process the repairs and all that. All right. Now, my rentals, I manage myself. Why? Because I don't want to give them that profit. I'm, I'd rather do it myself. And I'm capable of doing it myself. I had a great mentor when I was first getting started um, who said, Van, uh, if something breaks and you don't know how to fix it and you have to hire a professional, say a plumber, right? I hire the plumber. They come out to fix it. And when they do, stand over them and watch what they're doing. Not because you don't trust them, right? They're probably a very good plumber. I would hope you hired a very good plumber. But watch them so that you can learn how to do it because that thing will break again. And when it breaks again, 
you don't want to have to spend another couple hundred dollars hiring the plumber when you could do it yourself, right? That's how you keep your profit. Now, if something breaks and you're not quite sure how to fix it, my mentor said, hey, Van, look for the LFT. I said, what's the LFT? What is an LFT? He said, the little fucking thing. I said, what do you mean? He said, when something breaks, there's always some little thing that if you find what that is, then you most likely can figure out how to fix it. So it served me well for the last 20 years, you know, looking for the LFT. Um, I've been able to fix so many things and spend less money than if I said, hey, I'm going to hire a professional to, to come out. And you, there may be some things you don't want to learn how, and that's fine. But just remember, everything that you fix is another couple of hundred dollars in your pocket. Now, the next thing you have to know is leases, right? Because that's going to be the crux of being a landlord is, hey, I've got to get a lease. And there's plenty of sources. You don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to hire a lawyer to give you a lease. There are plenty of sources online. You know, the, the link you see here in the screen is uh, one for Georgia that has great, you know, forms for free. Um, you can do a Google search if you're in another state and probably find something very similar. Um, but get the lease. And then, you know, you should always read over it to understand it because you want to understand how that lease is going to work with your property. And you may have to add some clauses in. They're specific to your property. You know, I have two properties that have an HOA. And so the HOA rules I added to the lease to make sure that, you know, I was protected uh, if the tenant did something that were against the HOA rules. Or, you know, maybe you have a property that has a pool or some kind of structure and you want to put the clauses in there to cover yourself, right? Now, you could offer a longer lease, right? That's something. Most leases are a year. Um, you can offer a shorter lease if you if there's a reason to. I usually do one-year leases, but you know you could offer a longer lease. And what's the advantage of the longer lease? The longer lease means that you don't have to do a turnkey as often, right? What's a turnkey? Right, a turnkey is when you go in after the tenant leaves and get it ready for the next tenant. Right, you may have to change the carpet if it's really bad, or paint, or clean up, or whatever it is. You know, change the locks. Right, I'm a big believer that when a, when you change tenants, you should change the locks. Now, I don't actually change the physical locks. I was smart in my early years, and there's a product. Um, think Sherlock is the company that makes it. Um, they sell them at like Lowe's and um, Home Depot where the lock has a feature where you can put in a pin and change. You can have it rekeyed. Instead of hiring a locksmith to rekey it, you can rekey it yourself. All you have to have is a new key that's different than the old key. And this system will let you rekey it to that new key. And that way, when you give the keys to the next tenant, you feel confident knowing that the old tenant's not going to be able to get in this place because you've rekeyed it. Covers your ass, so to speak. But the, the big part of, of turnkey is that expense, right? So a longer lease means that you're not going to have to go through all that if you do a two-year lease, but there is a downside, 
right? The downside is that now all of a sudden you're losing out on, on being able to raise your rent at the end of the year, right? Because now you have a two-year lease at that set price. So there's pros and cons to it, um, you know. Now, getting the tenant from hell. I've had the tenant from hell, all right? It's not pleasant. You know, someone that destroys your place or uh, doesn't pay you or, you know, moves out in the middle of the night never to be found again. Um, this is what I want you to do. After you finish watching this video about being a landlord, I want you to go rent the movie Pacific Heights. It was an old uh, early 90s movie with Michael Keaton. He was the tenant from hell. But it really sort of puts what getting a tenant from hell is like. It's a little far-fetched, but, you know, at the same time, it can happen. It's happened to me. So watch that movie. If you still want to be a landlord, you can come back to me and I'll teach you the rest of what you need to know. Um, but getting a tenant from hell means that you may have to actually go through an eviction process. And that can be slightly different from county to county, state to state. But the gist of it is it usually takes anywhere from a couple of weeks to three months to get someone out um, through an eviction process. Why? Because there are certain steps you have to go through. First, you have to uh, give a notice to them, you know, from you to them for whatever the reason is, failure to pay rent is the most common reason, right? Uh, that, you know, you demand possession. It's called a demand for possession notice. And um, uh, usually, uh, you know, once you get that, then you want to go to the county, but it's usually a good rule of thumb to wait about three or four days before filing with the county. Um, that gives them, if you posted on their door and then they come home from work and they see and they're like, oh, I better pay Van. He's going to evict me. A lot of times I've had it where they just call me up and say, hell, I got the rent. I'll pay you. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you you can save time and money because there is a cost at the county to, to do this. But you will file a dispossessory action with the county and then they will send out a notice and tack it on the on the door and the tenant gets seven days to respond to that. Here in Georgia, it might be slightly different in another, another state, but here in Georgia, they get seven days to respond to that, all right? A lot of times, they'll check the box on the form that says, I want to go to court, all right? And then you'll have to go to court. You'll get a notice saying the court date is X. You know, so here we are now, three days from when you posted it, you know, another week from when they filed the dispossessory and tacked it on, the tenant gets another seven days. We're three weeks in and we haven't even gone to court yet. Um, and then you don't, when you go to court, you don't need a lawyer. All right. It's very easy process. The courts are very uh, nice. Uh, you know, the laws favor the tenants. Um, but I've been to court three times for this and all three times the tenant never showed up. Right. That happens a lot. The tenant's like, all right, I'm just going to book right at this point. So if they don't show up, the court's going to rule in your favor. And then um, if they do show up, maybe they show up with money and now you get your, your rent money. Or maybe the, the court says, hey, you have the tenant has to do X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, I, I was at court once and I saw the judge tell someone because the tenant and the landlord were there. He said, go outside and work out your differences and come back in 10 minutes and tell me that y'all figured out a solution. 
So it was pretty funny to watch that. But if the court rules in your favor, then they'll issue a writ of possession and you walk over to the county sheriff's office and you schedule a time for the eviction and the county sheriff will come out there on that date to help you evict. Now, the county sheriff is not going to do anything but sit in this car outside. You're going to have to go in and if there's stuff in there, you're going to have to pull it all out while the sheriff's there and put it on the corner, right, on the sidewalk. So it can be a hassle. Remember I said it's a pain in the ass to be a landlord. This is one of those things that would be a pain in the ass. Another thing that a lot of people ask me about uh, being a landlord is how I market it, right? How do I market my property for rent? And, you know, when I first started, the most common way, this was early days of the internet, so you didn't have as many services, so you'd put a little thing in the paper. You know, you'd open up the paper and there'd be a section for for uh, houses for rent or apartments for rent, and there'd be a little three or four line summary of what you were trying to rent and you'd have to pay the paper, you know, $200 or whatever it was for that ad to run a certain number of uh, weeks. Um, I hated it. Now, all of a sudden, there's so many free ways to do it online. You know, you can post it on Zillow. They have a free version and a paid version. Um, I've had a lot of good luck with Craigslist. I've found a number of tenants by posting stuff on Craigslist. But then, you know, you got Facebook and Nextdoor and all the social media um, platforms and personal networks, right? A friend says, oh, I've got a friend that's looking for a place to rent. You know, Van is your place available. Um, you can do that and I suggest you do it, but be very careful because you could put yourself in a very sticky position um, if something went wrong and now your friend who referred that person is sort of caught in the middle, um, definitely I don't rent to friends and family at all. Uh, I did that once and it was a disaster. So I don't recommend you rent to friends and family and on the personal networks, just be very careful about who that referral is from and, and what that relationship's like. Uh, from a tax standpoint, a lot of people ask me how that works, right? I know this is probably tiny to see, so if you want these slides, just shoot me a message and I'll, I'll send you the slides so you can see it. But this is a Schedule E on your tax return. That's where you file your, your rental. And, you know, uh, if you could see this well, you'd see where you declare the rent you've collected and then all the different expenses. And one of the line items is depreciation, right? You depreciate the property over time, the IRS has a schedule, and that's a reduction on your taxes, right? It's not money in your pocket, it's just reducing the amount uh, that's declared. So you may end up seeing at the end of this Schedule E a negative number. That can actually happen where you have a negative number. You might not be losing money, but your tax return shows a negative number because of that depreciation. And that's actually a good thing because that negative number helps reduce your overall tax return. You know, if you're still working, making a W-2 income, or a, if you're a 1099 self-employed person, you could see your income get reduced by the negative number from your rental. Um, there are rules around that and limitations and, you, you know, it can get complicated. You may want to, I, I do my own taxes, but you know, you may want to have a, um, 
a professional do your taxes if you're going to be a landlord just to make sure that you don't mess up this schedule e uh there again just like the plumber or the electrician have them do it the first year and then watch how they did it and then you can do it again yourself and some of the uh services like TurboTax do a really good job they have a version specifically for landlords now, things that you might forget as we wind down this mind over money is uh, about the power, right? When your tenant moves out, they're going to call their utility companies most likely and turn off all their utilities. And the last thing you want is to go into your rental property and the tenants turned off the power and now all of a sudden there's no power. So Georgia Power here in Atlanta has a service where you can sign up for a landlord agreement and that way, when the tenant moves out, um, you the power doesn't go off. It just reverts to your name. Um, if you are watching this and you're in another state, check out whatever your uh, local power company is. They probably have something similar. Uh, another thing not to forget about being a landlord is um, keep your finances separate, right? Create a separate rental checking account. Um, don't just deposit the rent in your personal account. Um, it's, it makes it easier from an accounting standpoint, if you keep it separate, you may have to add money out of your pocket to that account, especially if you have a vacancy and there's not enough money in there or a big expense and there's not enough money in there, but it's just a good idea to keep it separate. And then last, the, the final thing is remember at the beginning of this, we talked about if you, um, have taking your existing house and you're moving out of it and you're turning that into a rental, um, you have to know what your cost basis is when you have a rental, right? The cost basis is typically what you purchased the property for, not what the current value is. So if you've lived in the house for 10 years, you paid $100,000 and it's now worth $200,000, your cost basis is not $200,000, it's $100,000. So you take your purchase price, plus any material improvements, right? What's a material improvement? That would be like, I added on to the house. I put a bonus room on the house, or maybe there was an unfinished basement and I finished it. Those expenses for those material improvements can be added to your cost basis. So, you know, I bought the house for 100,000. I spent another 20,000 on material improvements. My cost basis is 120,000. And that's very important because that's what determines how much depreciation. Remember on the previous screen, we said that you can take depreciation. It's based off your cost basis. Now, here's the important part of that, why I'm bringing this up. Um, when you sell your existing house, you typically don't have to pay any capital gains. Why? Because the IRS says that if you've lived in the house two out of the last five years, then you get an exclusion of your capital gains up to $250,000 per person. So if you're married, that's a $500,000 exclusion. I bought the house for $100,000. I sold it for $400,000. That's only a $300,000 difference. That's all excluded. I pay no taxes on that. Now, I am running into a lot of older people, the baby boomer generation, they've been in their house for 30 or 40 years, and they've got huge profits, more than the $500,000 of exclusion. So they may see some small capital gains, but for the most people, most of us, you sell your house, I lived in it a couple of years, I now sell it, and I'm excluding 
those capital gains. And the reason that's so important for a rental is it starts the clock, right? If I take my existing house and turn it into a rental, then there's a three-year clock that gets started. And we already determined earlier in this in this uh, show that being a landlord's a pain in the ass. So you may start that and say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. You have three years from the time you do that to still sell your house and get that existing house and get that exclusion. So, you know, two out of the last five years, that's the rule. And that's why it's important. All right. So there's plenty of other things about being a landlord. If you want to learn more about it, just reach out to me. We can have a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and I'll be back next week with another Mind Over Money show.